However you are listening, I want to welcome you back. My name is Grayson Mann. This is your MWP, also known as the Man with a Plan podcast. This is episode 10. As always, I would like to welcome you back to the show. It has been always so amazing to see y'all support. Y'all keep it up. It's been fantastic. We are building something fantastic here. I am so excited to keep rolling content out for you. And despite the fact that I will be going back to college on Friday... The Man With A Plan isn't going anywhere. We are going to try to record as many episodes as we can and balance school. I'm sorry, it's just the way it is, but I'm excited to be able to balance things and get content out when I can. That's just the tiny little channel update that I have. If you have any questions, just DM me on my Instagram or leave a comment below. Let's get into the wild card weekend. And guess what? Doug Peterson got fired. That just happened about three hours ago. Through all the editing that I've had to do this today, I figured this out about two, and I knew I had to get it somewhere in the show. Doug Peterson has been let go by the Philadelphia Eagles. You saw this coming. Doug Peterson, the way he played out Week 17 wasn't his best decision moving forward in Week 17 that ultimately put Washington in the playoff. Jalen Hurts was benched for Nate Sudfeld. It was not a good look. Players are trying to compete in their final game Week 17. It's just the ball... The way you saw the body language, it was going to be an ugly offseason if Peterson was retained. He's going to try to sell a culture to Philadelphia. They're not going to want to take it. They're not going to trust him. It's all about believing in your coach. We talked about this in an early episode of The Man with a Plan. If you want to check that out, it'll be in the channel. If you want, I will leave a link in the bio. Actually, I will leave a link in the bio for the correct episode if you want to see that segment. It is right in the beginning, so if you don't want to sit through the whole thing... It's right there for you. You can click out and then come back to this episode. So let's talk about the Buffalo Bills and the Indianapolis Colts. The Buffalo Bills beat the Indianapolis Colts 27-24. And this was the game where Josh Allen showed everything to me. Josh Allen was not only just efficient, but he was veteran. He was smart. He was precise. Made great reads. Excellent throws. I want to pinpoint a third down throw that Josh Allen had. It was two receivers that were at the top of the end zone, and Josh Allen probably could have stuck it in there and made a fantastic play, but he opted for the checkdown. The checkdown went for four yards to Zach Moss, and not only does a checkdown sound boring and just, ugh, why are you talking about a checkdown on your podcast, dude? Like, let's talk about the touchdowns, let's talk about the big plays, the big moments, but this is a big moment in Josh Allen's development. Normally, Josh Allen would have to chuck down the ball or make a play that isn't very smart judgment wise and you don't want to see that in your franchise quarterback you want to see the little things take place the little things are what matter so much and it set up this QB draw and you've seen Tebow run it you've seen Cam Newton run it Josh Allen runs it now it's where the quarterback if the bunch if the defense is bunched up then you're gonna have to throw it over the top but if they're spread out and you think you can get in it's more like an option I've always felt the Patriots ran against the Seahawks Buffalo runs it today against Indianapolis really creative play call, but they aren't able to run that if Josh Allen throws an incompletion and it's third and six or third and seven. Now it was third and two. The playbook opens up a little bit more and you get smart plays make big plays. That's what I'm going to say about Josh Allen. Let's move to the Indianapolis Colts. Man, what a fight for Phillip Rivers. If this was his last game and he's ending up coaching football next year, he left it all out there. He had to said, 
he had a quote that said, I never had any doubts that this was going to be the year that I got my ring. And you just feel for him. He's been in the NFL for so long. He's been so competitive. He's fought every step of the way. All props to him. I'm excited to see where he goes. Should he come back, Indianapolis should be right back where they left off in the playoffs. But if they want to get a new quarterback, I think there's a lot of options this year. But do you want to start over, in a sense, and get a new quarterback? Or do you want to stick with Phillip Rivers? The Colts have a roster, however, where I think that they could still be a playoff team and be nursing this new quarterback and teaching him and getting him adjusted to the NFL. So maybe it doesn't matter. But I think Frank Reich has an interesting decision. And I think he's actually the perfect coach to be able to be put through this. He's such an excellent coach. Actually... He was playing against his former team. He backed up against the Buffalo Bills and led the Bills on an excellent comeback and up against a playoff in a playoff game. I don't necessarily know the team, but it's kind of like a full circle type of deal where you're now coaching against the team you used to play for. I think that's pretty cool. And what's really cool is that Buffalo was able to get fans in the game. Props to them. There were about 6,000 to 7,000 fans in the stands partying, they were dancing, they looked so lively and full of energy. I think that makes a huge difference in these playoff games, is that energy and that crowd. I hated the the Washington game, the Seattle game. There weren't any fans there. There weren't as much energy. Like The teams then on have to create their own energy. It's so much easier for these guys that are playing week in and week out to see their fans in the stands cheering them on. I think that makes a big difference and is really underrated this year. I'd love to hear what the NFL players think about the fake crowd noise because that's only pumped in on Fox and CBS. It's just really annoying sometimes when you're trying to hear the announcers and then you hear, oh, it's just, it's frustrating sometimes. I wish we could be back to normal and I hope that's coming soon in 2021. Enough about that. Let's move on to the Seattle Los Angeles Rams game. The Los Angeles Rams defeated the Seattle Seahawks 30 to 20. And it was a very interesting game. There was a lot going on. You started with a backup playing in place of Jared Goff. And then John Wolford leads a pretty good drive, goes down and gets absolutely hammered by Jamal Adams. Whatever you want to say on that hit, you can say controversial. Maybe he should have gotten ejected. He has to go to the hospital. And in comes Jared Goff, who was 12 days removed from surgery. And I think that that was Jared Goff's best game of his career. You can say, well, Grayson, he only threw nine passes. He only completed nine passes. And they still won. To which I say, they won the game. They went in Seattle and they won the game. Jared Goff had a broken thumb and they won the game. There was a, there was a, uh, oof, trying to find the right word. There was a shot on Fox of Jared Goff and he had his two thumbs up. And one thumb looked blown up. And one thumb looked fine. He was able to move it and stuff. And it was just obviously, of course, with all the luck that's going on this year and last year, it's his throwing thumb. So he's having to readjust where to throw the ball. It looked really awkward for him trying to throw it. And probably really painful, too. I can't imagine what he was going through trying to navigate that mentally and physically and emotionally. That's so many doubts. Like, can I throw the ball? Can I take this hit? I'm really happy for Goff because... A, that validates a contract. B, you won a playoff game and you aren't very healthy doing it. What happens when he's healthy? I think for the Rams, the sky is the limit for this team because they have a fantastic defense. Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, Darius Williams, Leonard Floyd. There's so many fantastic playmakers on the Rams that I think no matter what, they'll be competitive. 
I can't say if it's going to be the same against the Packers because Aaron Rodgers is just on another level. He's on a revenge tour. He's looking to win a Super Bowl. Can the Rams replicate the same formula of running the football with Cam Akers, playing solid defense, and Jared Goff playing when he needs to? I don't know, but this ultimately is a testament to Sean McVay and just how much of a fantastic coach he is, that lineage that he has. Not like lineage of family, but he's learned from so many great guys, and he's finally putting it all together. I'm so excited to see where he takes the Rams. They feel like they're finally back, like they were in 2018, when they were running the football with Todd Gurley. They had an excellent defense, and Jared Goff made plays when he needed to. Excuse me. Now, for Seattle, I feel like this was a day of missed opportunities. It's the weakest Ram team you'll play all year. You can't get it done. You only score 20 points, and some of that in garbage time. Russell Wilson looked like he was people were in his face all day. Pete Carroll looked unprepared. I just didn't like the way Seattle came into this game. I think they looked ahead a little too much, like they could take over pretty easily. John Wolfert wasn't a problem. Jared Goff, they should have been able to contain Goff in that offense and key in on the fact that Cam Akers is the lifeline of that offense. And then Jared Goff has to beat you on 3rd and 13, 3rd and 12, 3rd and 10. It's such a shame for Seattle because I think Russell Wilson's top five quarterback on a top 15 team. He It's like a more talented Texans team. The Texans have a competent coach. Did I just say the Texans have a competent coach? Oh my God, that's not true. The Seahawks have a competent coach and they have a good team, but it's not as good as it should be. And Russell Wilson is that lifeline. Like Deshaun Watson is on an absolutely god-awful team and he is... Their lifeline only winning four games, unfortunately. But he could be moved. That is fan. That is just insane news to hear that Deshaun Watson will not be a Houston Texan, potentially. I've heard Miami, New England. Ooh, if Miami got Deshaun Watson, that would be very interesting. All they have to do to trade away to get him. I think Deshaun Watson's untradeable. Like, you just don't give him away, especially when you're trying to rebuild a franchise. But I think Watson's made it to a point where they can't keep him, and he'll just sit out. So it's like... You either get value out of Watson or you have him pissed off on the bench. It just doesn't work out for you. So to wrap up the Seattle-LA game, I think that the Rams, I think if they lose against Green Bay, so be it. That is a fantastic year you've just had. In a COVID year, no quarterback essentially against Seattle. It's a fantastic season. There's not a lot to say that you can complain about. Seattle, I think that you will have your head hanging down. He gave up a lot to be good this year, and it just didn't pan out. I hope Russell Wilson can eventually get back to the Super Bowl, if not win one, because I think he's a great guy, a great leader. I think Seattle's got their franchise quarterback for life, so we'll see how things pan out in the future. All right, let's talk about the Washington football team and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This was a very, very interesting game. Let's start by talking about the obvious, Taylor Heineke. Kim comes out of nowhere. I think he was at Old Dominion taking finals a month ago. I was on my, I was at home resting from finals and making this podcast. Taylor Heineke's trying to finish finals and a degree in mathematics. And he comes out and plays his second game in his career against who else other than Tom Brady. That's insane to me. That you are so prepared. You know the playbook so well. You went out there. And I think Taylor Heineke made great throws, great decisions, great accuracy. He had some swagger to him, too. It almost felt like Washington was an entirely different team. They had that extra element that they've been wanting all season. And I think Chase Young was 
he was their defensive spark, and now they finally have an offensive spark. And I think that if they were to keep Heineke and it pans out, hopefully it's not some over overreacting to us one game, one hit wonder guy in Taylor Heineke, and we actually have a franchise quarterback in the NFC East. Being along with Dak Prescott, I'm still questionable about Daniel Jones, Carson Wentz, I'm out on. Jalen Hurts, the verdict is still out there. But if Heineke were able to be something, I think Washington could be an 11-1 football team because you have all the defensive pieces to be a top 10, and Ron Rivera is the coach to sustain that. And you got a culture, and you got rid of Dwayne Haskins. He did a lot of house cleaning this year. You have a cancer survivor. Alex Smith can still be the starting quarterback. And should he go down, you have a very, very, very good backup to come in there and take care of the pieces when they need to be. I think Washington shouldn't leave this game upset. I think they should be hopeful. 7-9, and nine, especially in a playoff game, you're thinking, oh, I don't know about this. This feels like a, to me, it felt like a group of five versus power five team playing against each other at Georgia-Cincinnati where the energy is all there, but the talent gap is something to take notice of, that it's just not all there. But I think Heineke made the difference. I think the talent was at quarterback. Speaking of quarterback, let's talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady. Every game I watch with Tampa Bay, it reminds me of why he left for the Patriots. Tom Brady didn't have any weapons in New England in 2019. He had a hobbled Julian Edelman, Jacoby Myers. I can't even... There are so many that I don't remember. Gunnar Oshesky. And now he comes to Tampa Bay and it's Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, OJ Howard, Gronk, Ronald Jones, Leonard Fournette. I mean, I'm running out of fingers here. Here are so many weapons. They're prolonging Tom Brady's career. That's why he signed with Tampa Bay. He knew what he had in Tampa Bay. If he could get all the right pieces, he could get Antonio Brown over there. It was going to be a fireworks show, and he put up 40 touchdowns and over 4,000 yards as a 43-year-old man. I don't know many other 43-year-olds that are as efficient and as healthy as he is. Like, good Lord, that's gonna that sounds mean. I mean, on his level. Not like healthy, like they stink or anything, but Tom Brady... Is probably the healthiest 43-year-old I've ever seen in my life. If you're 43 and you're watching this, I am so sorry. I did not mean to offend you in any way. But with Brady, (laughs) I'm getting off traffic because I'm like worried I'm going to get in trouble here. But Tom Brady, efficient. Tampa Bay's defense, I have some question marks on. Taylor Heineke, second game. How could you let that happen? Was it just you weren't prepared? The film was out. I guess he was announced to play that day. So it could be all, we can get the film on him. We don't really know what we were expecting. It might be like what Jalen Hurts was with the Saints. And I hope it's not the case because I'd love for Heineke every single game to have that Johnny football-like aspect where he's just insane and Washington has their guy. Because once you finally start doing some searching and you're able to bunker down and build a team, it's just it can only take off from there. And Washington's so good. I know 7-9 and nine is not a record that reflects that, but they're better than what that shows is what I'm trying to say. So I think Tampa Bay... They play the Saints next week. They hopefully should continue that offensive momentum. And I think they finally found their identity. I think when they played the Saints twice in the regular season, they're still trying to figure out who they were. So I think maybe for Tampa Bay, their best bet is offensive shootout and try to win. But that Chicago game wasn't very encouraging for (laughs) the Saints. So we'll talk about that later. I'm really excited to see these divisional matchups on the Saturday side. We're going to get to the Sunday side. When I return, we're going to talk about the Titans and the Ravens. We're going to talk about the Browns beating down on the Steelers. And of course, we'll cover why I think Matt Nagy needs to go as the Chicago Bears head coach. 
My name's Grayson Mann. This is the Man With Plan podcast, and we will be right back. We are back. Welcome back, as always, to the Man with Plan podcast, episode 10. Let's shift to the Baltimore Ravens-Tennessee Titans game. Lamar Jackson wins his first playoff game as a pro. Congratulations to him. I think that Lamar Jackson each year has improved, and he's starting to do a little bit of everything. He made some good throws. He had that one bad throw that was picked off, but... I think that he was able to destroy narratives. There was narratives that he couldn't win the big game. He couldn't play behind a lead. There was a lot of stuff going against him, and he was able to overcome that. And as your franchise quarterback, Baltimore is going to be really excited to see where he can go now. The monkey is finally off his shoulder. That's been nagging at him for the last three years that he can't win the big game. You were drafted in the first round. You can't do this. You can't do that. But they excuse everything else for all the other quarterbacks. It seems like Lamar Jackson gets the most hate. Probably because he was intended by the NFL. The NFL intended him to, for, to be a wide receiver. They didn't see that he could be a quarterback. They saw the talent, but didn't see it in the quarterback position. Maybe that's it. I don't know. But I think Tennessee, they really just flopped this game. It looked really bad. Their defense was able to make stops, and they weren't. Their offense was able to move the ball, and they couldn't. There's not a lot that I have on this game other than Mike Vrabel. I mean, there, he's had some comments about, like, I'll chop off this to win the Super Bowl, or I'll do this for any game. And then you get super conservative on 4th and 2 against an explosive Ravens offense on your plus side of the field. Why don't you run the football with Derrick Henry? You're getting going with Derrick Henry. He only had 40 yards on the day. Not the best from King Henry, who had back-to-back rushing titles over 2,000 yards this year, joins elite company. It just felt super like a letdown, like almost like a deflation for Tennessee because they had a lot going for them this year. They had a winning formula. They ran the football play action. They set up the pass for Ryan Tannehill, and he had to do it all on his own, and I really hope that there's not like this stigma against him that he can't do it on his own or he can't do this, he can't do that without Derrick Henry because the Ravens are a really good football team, and Tannehill's done a lot for Tennessee in the last two years that they haven't done in almost 20 winning multiple playoff games getting to the playoffs multiple times, winning a division. I mean, that's a lot to be able to celebrate, especially Tennessee. They haven't been able to maintain a playoff consistency in a long time. It's nice to see that. They've got the pieces, but it just felt deflated yesterday. I I really don't have a lot about Tennessee as a whole. I don't watch them as much as I probably should, but when I do watch them, they're very interesting. They're very emotional. They play very spontaneously I feel like there's one quarter where they're really good another quarter where they're not let's talk also about the emotion of this game the Ravens and the Titans I feel like are the this interconference rival where they're at each other's throats every second of the game even though they're not division rival there's not really a history behind them there's not a Super Bowl history behind them I guess you could pin that back to the playoff game to last year where Mike Rabel came in and upset the MVP Lamar Jackson Ravens where they weren't really supposed to be they have any business being there and they all of a sudden came in there and knocked out the best team in football and they were this big team with Derrick Henry and we're gonna step on your logo I just think it's a bunch of silly just crap I really am not for the uh we're gonna step on your logo after we pick off I'm really a believer in being the bigger team and I think Harbaugh should have some 
something to say about it. I know that there's a lot of emotions. It's playoff. You just won the game. Emotions are high. You're not really thinking about, ooh, I really should be doing this instead of that. I, I feel bad. I'm sorry. So I can't blame them, but I can't also credit them either. I think that a team eventually is going to get them that's more emotionally mature, like the Chiefs or the Bills, and they're just going to smack them. But I hope not, because I like Lamar Jackson as a player. He had a very funny interview. ESPN had to blurt him out. I thought it was hilarious. I, I love seeing that look. Me and my dad looked at each other, and we're like, whoa, what did he just say? ESPN had to cut that out, because they obviously are ahead a little bit, just in case. Unfortunately for Nickelodeon, they did not get that chance. Okay. That's all I really have to say about Tennessee. Baltimore plays Buffalo. Tennessee's now looking forward to next year. They got a team in place. Let's see what they do with it. Let's talk about the Saints and the Chicago Bears. Ugh, this game was ugly. I think that the Saints, they didn't do anything to impress me, and they didn't do anything to leave. Like, they didn't do anything to calm my nerves about them. I don't feel very good about them moving forward. I really don't. I feel like that Chicago game was in their hands. They should have dominated and they literally gave Chicago the game on a platter. If that had been any other team, that game would have been over by the second half. The Saints had so many drops, missed opportunities. It, it makes my head hurt thinking about it. The Saints, man, they're such a good team. This could be Drew Brees' last ride. And you start out like that, that's not very encouraging. And I think Tom Brady at home is probably watching going, wow, we got a really good shot going in next week. You don't want your team feeling like you have an edge over them. And then they were able to pick it up, but this still didn't impress me. But what did impress me is that Nickelodeon broadcast, man. Wow, that was entertaining. I thought it was going to be really stupid. And I think Nate Burleson did a really good job. And all the comparisons that they did. They had best friends, Drew Brees and Taysom Hill. Best friends, SpongeBob and Patrick. And then they had one, Javon Wims punches Sidney Gardy Johnson in the mouth. SpongeBob punches Patrick in the mouth. I was like, oh my gosh, they really went all the way in on this, did they? Slime, Sean, Slime Payton. Sean Payton got slimed after the game. And I think that their goal was to capitalize on the younger audience and putting SpongeBob and football in a like compilation and seeing if that was going to be what clicked. I don't think it would. I don't think it did in any case. It's just a gimmick. And it was. I think an attempt to get a bigger audience and expand the NFL bigger than they already are. I think it was entertaining. It masks some of the problems with yesterday's game. I think that Matt Nagy needs to go. And we're going from, wow, Nickelodeon's so great, to such a depressing, sad thing. But Matt Nagy, man, I'm not impressed with him. I think that he had the one good year, and now I see the more of the same. Run, play action, jet motion, we're going to dump it off. I think they did Trubisky a disservice yesterday. They seemed way too conservative for a team that is a 10-point underdog. They're in the Superdome. They don't really have a chance. Why don't they go just absolutely insane and open the playbook for Trubisky? See what you have in a quarterback. So what if you go home and lose? At least you left everything on the field like a Phillip Rivers did or hopefully Ben Roethlisberger did. We'll see how that future pans out. But I think that the, the Bears had all the opportunities to win. Their defense is so talented, kept them in the game. And it's like the Bears offense and Matt Nagy as a whole didn't want to win the game. I don't think Matt Nagy's it. I think there were too many penalties. Excuse me. False starts, offsides, illegal motion, the drop by Javad Wimps. I had my I had the surrendering Cobra thing happening. I was like, oh no. Oh, that was the game. That was the way that changed it. It was 7-3. to three. Trubisky threw an excellent ball. I don't know why they didn't go back to that. 
or try to attack downfield more. They have good some good weapons. Allen Robinson, Jimmy Graham, Cole Komet. I guess Anthony Miller got ejected, which is also another sign to not keep your emotions in check in a playoff game. The coaches know better. The players know better. I think that there needs to be a serious look in the mirror. Time to use the cliche. I need to look in the mirror and figure this out. But Chicago management needs to look in the mirror and see what do they have in this team. Do they look for a quarterback in the future? Do they keep Trubisky and see what do we have in him? Because there's been a fla- there's been flashes where he's been very, very efficient and then where he's very, very bad. So you have to really take a look at yourself and figure that out for what Chicago is going to be as a whole because Detroit's going to get better. Chicago is going to stay the same. Minnesota's going to get better. Green Bay is fantastic. Where are you as a franchise? Do you want to start over, or do you want to get that extra push to the playoffs? I think for the Saints next week, it's just they need to start faster. They need to be more efficient with the football. They need to be able to move the ball on offense. You can't, with the Drew Brees offense, where you have Michael Thomas back and Alvin Kamara back, and if you're a Saints fan, you're watching this, and you feel like part of that's rhythm, that Brees and Michael Thomas need another game back. What about Emmanuel Sanders? What about that guy, Dimitri Harris? He was pretty fast. He's pretty efficient. They were able to get him going in the second half. That was really good on the Saints. Sean Payton's always good at adjusting in the second half, and I felt like if the Saints were up at halftime, it was over. So maybe I'm a little too harsh on New Orleans, and they're going to be fine going into next week. But I'm a little worried. I, I'm just a little worried. Let's shift to the final game of the wildcard weekend, Cleveland and Pittsburgh. Wow. Cleveland went absolutely bonkers. They beat the Pittsburgh Steelers 48-37. to This was really fun to watch, despite the fact that all the not half the time, all the time, Cleveland was on top. They were dominating. They got up 28 to nothing. Ben Roethlisberger and Pittsburgh combined for five turnovers. Oh, you shouldn't be in a game with five turnovers. That was... The missed fumble, four interceptions. I was that a fumble or a snap? What would you count that as? I think Marquise Pouncey chucked that thing. They just didn't look prepared. Pittsburgh was out of sync, and this is what I expected from Cleveland. Their first playoff game in over it almost two decades. Their head coach is gone, all pro guard is gone, all pro corner's gone. And you come out like that? That is a sign of culture. Cleveland is a team trending up. They're here to stay. That was the telling for me. What do you do when everything falls apart? Do you go back to your old ways or do you stick with what works and you keep being efficient? I picked Pittsburgh to win. After I made the show and put it out there, I was thinking, I don't know if I made the right decision because Cleveland is a really good football team. They're not the same Browns like Juju wanted to say he, they were. Oh man, I don't know what Pittsburgh needs to do. Sometimes I feel like they get out of their own way. They open their mouth too much. It's just not what a championship football team should be doing. They should be practicing, not making TikToks. We talked about the Steelers before. Oh, Steelers are frustrating, man. And it just makes me not want to watch them because every time I feel like they do anything worthwhile or succeed, they just revert back to this like, oh, we did it. We're going to make some dances. Woo! Ugh. And if you're a Steelers fan, I apologize. I know I've said if you're this fan, if you're this fan, but there's a lot of teams in the mix now. Adding two extra teams to the playoffs makes things so much better, I feel. You get better games. You get better teams for a Cinderella opportunity. You got your Cinderella team, I think, in Cleveland because you don't know if Stefanski's going to be back. You don't know if you have your pieces back. 
I think Cleveland and LA are your two dark horse teams to watch because I don't like calling Tampa Bay a dark horse team because they have Tom Brady. No Tom Brady team should be a dark horse team. They're always in it to win it for the Super Bowl. So I was thinking about this game a little bit and it reminded me of the Broncos Seahawks game in 2013 because you have an older quarterback who's on his way out, talented young defense that's noisy, that likes to make energy created on the field. Not saying that Seattle and Cleveland are the same, because they're definitely not. Seattle was an all-time team, all-time defense, and the the Browns, we don't really know what they're going to be. They might get clobbered by the Chiefs. They might compete well against the Chiefs. But the way that it started with the fumble, the missed snap, it just reminded me. I was like, man, this reminds me of a Super Bowl I once watched when I was much younger. It was overall a very entertaining wildcard weekend. I'm excited that Baker Mayfield got his first playoff win. A lot of firsts this weekend. First playoff win for Allen, Baker Mayfield, and Josh Allen. Allen, Baker Mayfield, and Josh Allen. Allen, Lamar Jackson, and Baker Mayfield. Poor Sam Darnold. Poor Josh Rosen. That's tough on them. Hopefully, Sam Darnold can join them next year, should the Jets somehow make the playoffs. We can talk about the Jets in the offseason. I can't wait for the divisional. I can't wait for the national championship tonight. There's so much to break down. Thank you for tuning in back to this episode. As always, this is your MWP. Have a fantastic day. And as always, take care.